Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Links and Locks Podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, you beautiful degenerates, and welcome to the Links and Locks podcast, Action Network's golf betting podcast presented by Bet365. I'm your host, Roberto Arguello of Action Network, and I'll be joined every Wednesday by my co-hosts, Spencer Aguiar and Nick Bretwish. Unfortunately, Nick couldn't make it with us today, so it's just Spencer and me. Today, we'll be previewing the course at the Hero World Challenge and covering our wrap-up from the RSM Classic. Spencer's got some big stuff to talk to you about. We've got a course preview uh, out in Albany Golf Club in the Bahamas this week, and then we'll get into our best bets, our outrights, maybe some matchups. Unfortunately, not robust place market tournament this week as there are only 20 players in the field, but we'll get down on all of our action throughout the podcast. Spencer, before we get into this week's tournament, we've got to bounce back to two weeks ago at the RSM Classic, where you hit on another outright with Adam Svensson in the 160 to one range. Congratulations. And how the heck did you pick Adam Svensson in that field? Well, it's kind of like we talked about, and I, I think that's one of like the noteworthy things that we've been trying to do on this show between the three of us when Nick is on also. You know, outright betting and just gambling in general is all about finding value. And it's one of those spots where my model, and I think I even said it on the show, and you know, I, I was happy that you pushed me a little bit more on the answer because we ended up getting like a better segment from it from that uh, little thing there. But one of the things you have to remember is you always want to shoot for upside when it comes to outright betting because a second place is going to be equivalent to what a missed cut ends up being unless, I mean, you have access to each way betting, which in America, most of us don't. And it's very important to try to shoot for the maximum upside you can. So when we look at Spenson in particular, he was a golfer where, you know, he was inside the top 15 in my model when it came to projected win equity. Uh, the safety for him placed him outside the top 50. But those are the kind of shots that I'm willing to take. And specifically when we're looking at a golfer that's outside the 100 to 1 range, like, sure, it's going to be difficult to hit those options. You know, very infrequently do they come in. But the thing is, it all comes down to value at the end of the day. So, uh, you know, it was a very good tournament for me. I won 8.73 units. I was 3-0 on head-to-head plays. Uh, I just want to throw it out there. It's 134, 76, and 19 on the season for me on in overall head-to-head plays that I've made. That's a 63.8% win rate. 
I'm very proud of that. Like that's my bread and butter market. That's the market that I always say on here is the one that I go to when I need a play for the week. But uh, when you hit an outright winner and specifically at 160 to one, that's kind of what makes the headlines for the week. Yeah. You don't see people hit on 160 to one very often. And we've been disappointed a little bit by the falsling because we'd had so many favorites win. And I believe there were only four players on the false swing so far that won with odds of greater than 30 to one. And I believe our podcast has hit on three of those four with Keegan Bradley at 35 to one with Russell Henley at 50 to one, which you and Nick both had. And then Adam Svensson at 160 to one. And then the other one, of course, being Mackenzie Hughes, who was around 50 to one. Uh, unfortunately we didn't have him, but those other three add up to fewer than 160 to one. So big win. Hopefully people tailed. Um, I didn't have a great week in the outright market. I only bet two guys. One missed the cut, Tom Hoagie. Another one, um, Joel Damon finished in the top five. He was one back after 36, but had a rough day on Saturday. So eventually fell out of contention and got a backdoor top five. We did find some arbitrage value on the pod last week as Taylor Pendrith was listed on Bet365's placement um, board to be below 19 and a half at minus 120. And then on most books at a consensus plus 220 to finish in the top 20. And he did finish tied for 15th. So if you got a hold of that arbitrage, hopefully you found a nice sweet spot in there at top 15. Unfortunately, he was one stroke away from being in a tie for 20th, which would have hit every number, which would have been really, really nice. Uh, hopefully people got on that. I posted that on our best bets on Action Network, which you can find that every Tuesday night uh, posted around 10 o'clock Eastern time. So we'll have that we'll have that posted very shortly. And by mid morning on Wednesday, they took down the odds for not only Taylor Pendrith in that market, but every other player. So hopefully that was because of us. I just wanted to add to that very quickly because I know a lot of those plays that we talked about, unfortunately, some hit like I ended up losing on uh, Brendan Todd, Matt Kuchar, both of those missed the cut. There was a couple other ones, but those are the egregious mistakes as gamblers that we're trying to find. And unfortunately, in that situation, it didn't come to fruition to where, you know, some of them hit. I, I mean, for the most part in the placement market, when I took everything, like I had an Andrew Putnam top 40 that kind of added to the total. And I think I probably lost a little bit uh, when it came to the bet three, six, five wagers in general, but you don't really need that many to hit. And I'll tell this story very quickly on the podcast before we move into the betting board this week for the Hero World Challenge. But one of the better outright stories or better betting stories that I have in general is it was the U.S. Open in, I believe, 2017. And you'll everybody listening will know how hard this was for me to place a wager against Jason Day. But there was a market out there, and I was surprised I got paid out, which uh, credit to the Las Vegas book that did pay me out. I'll not say who it was, I guess, for the sake of the show. But um, I had Mark Leishman at 50-1 to 1 to be the low Aussie in the tournament. And that was with a player pool of... Day, Scott, Leishman, and two amateurs. And clearly they meant to put it at five to one. So it was like an error at the end of the day. And I just kept betting it for $100 every single like 30 minutes until they eventually moved the number on me. 
And that was my way of doing it. It was like, well, if an hour has passed and they still haven't moved it, I'm just going to keep betting it until something's changed. I'm not trying to put, you know, thousands of dollars and have them cancel my bet up front on it. But it's those mistakes that, you know, books are human. They do make errors. And unfortunately, a lot of times they we have problems to where they don't necessarily, you know, they'll cancel wagers. But in this particular situation with Bet365, like, we talked about it. They were errors. Whether or not they came is, is another part of the story there. But uh, that's what we're looking for. We're always looking for value. We're always looking for mistakes. And uh, we happen to find some there that uh, just didn't necessarily work out. Yeah. And it's very infrequent that you'll find a mistake on the outright board. But in some of these more exotic boards, you can find them. And I recommend looking through your books, not just on the first page of the odds that you find, but go look throughout. And sometimes you can find discrepancies like we did last week with Taylor Pendrith, where you can find him to finish above a certain position somewhere and below a certain position, and you can find arbitrage. Uh, and there are some websites that have arbitrage normally on alternate lines for different, I know, team sports, not, not necessarily as much on golf focused, uh, but you can find it out there. So look for it. I find one every two to three months. Um, one of my bigger recent ones was on the Cavaliers. They got Donovan Mitchell, and I was on my phone. I saw the Shams or Woj tweet, and then their odds to win the Eastern Conference and the title came down, but you could still bet on their win total, and you could still bet on them to make or miss the playoffs at just about even money. So I put down as much money as I could, try to get more money into the account. And by the time that happened, the odds were down for one, but I could get it on the other one. So always be mindful of if something happens, in real time and you happen to be logged into your book, check out not only the first market that you might think of, but other ones as well. Who knows what you might be able to find. With that, let's get into this week's tournament, the Hero World Challenge. This is being played in Nassau in the Bahamas at Albany Golf Course. Spencer, what are your main takeaways about this golf course? So the first problem, which I feel like has been a redundant situation that we keep running into is we lack stat tracker here since the course is in the Bahamas. But despite missing a few key metrics that will play a factor in the outcome, I thought the venue seemed relatively straightforward in what was being asked from the field. We have wide open fairways that have yielded winning scores from 18 under to 25 under over the past five years. Wind typically plays a factor to an extent because of the blustery conditions, but outside of the distinctive layout of five par threes, eight par fours, and five par fives, it was hard to find too many traits of why this course is different and what we should expect out of your standard, straightforward weekly test. I do want to elaborate a little more on the par ranges since eight par fours is as reduced as you'll ever get on tour. But the one key characteristic that I noticed is that the individual par sectors seem to demand the same thing repeatedly from the field. We see that with all five par threes ranging from 180 to 216 yards. It's going to be a lot of repetitive shots there. The five par fives produce a 36.8 to 62.1% birdie or better rate. And even though we do have a mixture of par fours stretching from 298 to 489 yards, half will take place from 470 to 489. And then 25% will deliver drivable chances. We're the same mindset that we have on the par fives of distance, plus the ability to scramble around the green. That's going to be from within 30 yards, kind of takes the mantle for what you're looking for when constructing your model. 
I think all of that's extremely important to note since handicapping, of course, goes beyond aimlessly talking about the simplicity of the layout. Sure, ease is going to produce more birdies, but it's critical to pinpoint where those opportunities arise. And the fact that we can immediately highlight seven possibilities where the birdie rate stretches beyond 35%, at least to me, meant that aggression is going to be one of the key factors this week. Um, when I built my model, I just want to go through this very quickly because I thought it was an important thing that I didn't necessarily weigh, but it was a, a critical factor when I looked at it. And I probably could have made it more sophisticated when the way I did it, if I didn't do it in such like a, I guess I would call this a, a non-linear fashion. Like I ended up going a flat 25% on each component to simplify the process, but I essentially took an equal distribution of projected proximity for Albany. That's going to be where I think all the second shots are going to come from. I took long-term aggression numbers, which is just another way to say that players are more likely to go for the green. I took total driving and geared that towards distance. These are really wide open fairways, like I said. And then I took a scrambling number. That's going to be all the scrambling metrics that I look from under 30 yards. So that's going to be the drivable par fours, guys that try to drive the green with the aggression and maybe come up, you know, left or right or short or long or wherever they end up going with it. It's going to be the par fives, these guys that try to drive to hit the green in two shots. Maybe they come up short, long, right, whatever it ends up being with it. They're going to have to scramble from there. But the top 10 of that particular model, when I took those four stats, equally uh, molded them into one thing. That would be Scotty Scheffler, Justin Thomas, John Rom, Tony Finau, Shane Lowry, Xander Shoffley, Cameron Young, Victor Hovland, and Max Homa. I just think that that mindset is exceptionally vital when we try to deduce a 20-man board down into an outright or two. I wanted players that could take advantage of their all-out attacking game style. And while, in fairness, it probably does remove some options for one reason or another in that market, kind of as I said at the beginning of the show, we have to be ultra-aggressive when it comes to outrights. That doesn't mean bet favorites. It doesn't mean to take long shots. It just means I want to take guys where their win equity is higher than the perception is on the market. And, you know, there's a couple guys this week that fall into that category for me. This is going to be a very small board when it comes to like options that you have at your general disposal. But um, I think that's like one of the big things I keep trying to drive home is be very aggressive with outrights. So without further ado, who is your first outright play? So my first outright play this week is going to be Scotty Scheffler at 9-1. to one. Now, I will say that that number has fallen a little bit in the space. I know Bet365 had 8.5-1. to one. I've seen 8-1s to ones at some of the legal shops, but... You know, to me, six to one was the proper rate because of his ability to take advantage of multiple facets of his game. And one of the things I want to say very quickly is like, I think a no cut limited field tournament isn't probably any of our cup of teas that are listening to this. Like, that's something to keep in mind. But I don't hate the outright market this week for some of those reasons that I said. Like, part of the problem is everyone is experiencing is that we are so used to having these boards that are more spread out. You have so many options this week that are sub 20 to one, but it's important to note that we're getting hold percentages, at least at some of these books that I'm looking at, 20 to 30 points below what we typically see for a standard event. My guess would be that that's coming from, we have a lot of really good players here. I think they're expecting exposure to be spread out. They're giving us a little bit more natural of a board. So I wouldn't look at all these options sub 20 to one and think that we have a bad betting board in this spot. I still think there's opportunities that come into play. It just for me, Scheffler at, you know, call it eight to nine to one is really the number that stood out to me. 
I noted at the, uh, a second ago how he graded as the number one player in my model when trying to highlight the four intangibles of weight of proximity, aggression, total driving, and scrambling, but it stretched further than that when diving into his grades of ranking first in weighted par three, first in par four, and third for projected par five scoring, making him the only player to rate in the top seven for all three of those sections. He has produced back-to-back -to -back top nine finishes in the past two starts, and I really think it's going to come down to getting anything better than his negative 2.5 five shots per start that he's generated with his flat stick over the last five tournaments. I I really believe this when I say it, Roberto. It doesn't mean it necessarily happens here, but I think the very second he provides any semblance of a positive total with that capacity of his game, he's going to win that event, and I really think he could potentially win it in runaway fashion. So I played that for 0 0.90 units to win 8.1. And then just to very quickly go through the second outright bet that I made, and this is unfortunately a number that moved on me a little bit in the space too, but uh, there was a max home of 30 to one on bet 365. Uh, that has moved to 27 to one now, but technically anything over 23 to one was proper for me since my model thought he should have been in the same range as choices like, you know, Morikawa, Burns, Tom Kim, Shane Lowry, Fleetwood, Cameron Young. I will say I really like Cameron Young this week. I just didn't like the number. It doesn't mean also that I like Homa's win equity better than any of those possibilities, but I did see value in the price when directly comparing. I probably would have said the same thing about Cameron Young if you flipped Homa with him on the board, but I'm going to hope that Homa is in that same state we saw from Sam Burns around this time last year, where the upside wasn't realized until he reeled off multiple wins in a short time frame. I risk 0.23 units to win 6.9. From what I said there, from a 30 to 1 number to, you know, a 26, 27 to 1 number, we'll call it 26 to 1 just for safety here. Uh, you can have three tenths of a unit if you're trying to mimic my card. But at the end of the day, I didn't want a ton of exposure. One, because I took a sub 10 to 1 option in Scotty Scheffler. Like, that's an important note. We really don't have much room to go beyond that. But two, I really think Scotty Scheffler wins this tournament, so I'm not necessarily trying to add all these other mixtures to the equation. It's, you know, if you want to call it a hedge to an extent because he's the other player in my model that had some edge for me. Uh, Sung JM was close. I wish his number would have been a little bit higher, but you know, those two players in particular, that's 10% of the field. Those are the two names I'm going to go with. And Scheffler is my person who I'm hoping. And at least my model believes is going to win this tournament. So I knew before we got on the pod today that you had Scheffler and I had Scheffler, but I didn't know you had Homa and I also had Homa uh, at 31 yesterday. I, was looking through the odds where I was like, man, everybody's at 20 to one or lower. Yes, and then exactly. my team Homa, who I think is in the same tier with a lot of these guys between 15 and 20 to one. And he was at 30. So I hit that immediately. And then I dug deep, deeper into the uh, data, whether at the data golf website uh, that I subscribe to, and then also playing around with your model as well. And everything pointed to Scotty Scheffler as well. So I got him at eight and a half to one. You can still find Scheffler at eight to one on the enhanced win at bet three, six, five. And while Homa has gotten down to about a consensus between 20 and 22 to one, as of right before this podcast, he is on the enhanced win at bet three, six, five at 27 to one. So if you have access to bet three, six, five, I highly recommend checking out that market. And Homa is just another guy who doesn't have a, a big weakness in his game strokes gained on just about every metric off the tee on approach around the green with his putting um, and driving accuracy as well. Driving accuracy, not super important with the wider fairways this week, but in addition to playing Homa at 
30 to one, if you can't get him better than 22 to one, uh, which is pretty much the consensus in the market right now. I also played him in a matchup against Jordan Spieth. Wow. Uh, I'll let you continue. I, I don't, but I want, I want to talk about that a little bit in a second. Cause I think there's two ways to fade Jordan Spieth this week. And I think Max Homa is one of those routes you can go. Okay. So we're really locked in here. Um, I have him at minus 118 for 0.6 units to win just over 0.5 units. And Spieth is a guy who can be erratic off the tee, as everyone knows. And he's only played, I think, once so far this fall. He has some experience on this course, which varies. He's got three top six finishes in his first three appearances here. And then he's got two finishes at 16th and 20th, 20th being dead last in the 20-person field last year here i don't read too much into that just because jordan spieth has gotten a lot better in his form this year and he had those lulls in form but he's someone who has downside and in his only tournament so far this fall at the cj cup he lost a significant amount of strokes on approach which doesn't bode that well max homa in his start so far in the fall we know he has the win at the fortinet worth the unlikely comeback on the last hole. And then he also has two top 23 finishes, gaining strokes on approach and around the green significantly in both of those. And then on the putting on the putting green, he's solid, whereas Jordan Spieth has his tendency to run hot and cold and especially miss some frustrating short putts. I thought that Homo was just a more consistent guy. And even though you can see in most markets, on the outright markets, Homa is priced Longer with longer odds than Spieth to win the tournament in the matchups. Homa is actually favored, which is not something you see super often um, on the boards. Uh, but it makes sense why, because of the upside uh, for Spieth and the downside. And I'll take it with Homa, with a guy who I think is hotter and who I think has the upside to be better long term than the odds have projected, as you said. So I'll start by saying this, that my model's two most overrated players were Jordan Spieth and Sam Burns. Uh, Spieth was the most overrated. Sam Burns would have been the second most overrated. And it's always hard to find head-to-head wagers for events like this because I don't know what you want to call it, Roberto. I'm going to call it essentially a high-end exhibition that kind of allows everyone four days of golf. But the one thing I'll say about Jordan Spieth in particular, and we won't even talk about the stats here for a second, but is that when he checks out mentally – he does so in glorious fashion, providing these random, you know, eight over, 10 over type days that can be detrimental for no cut tournaments if he isn't competing. And the thing with that is even if he looks good for the opening two days, we've seen him go nuclear on himself and shoot himself from first into last over round of golf. So for me, it just came down to what golfer could I find him against to take advantage of him ranking as the most mispriced choice on the board. I'm going to say this. I, you know, we always try to note this. We all have access to different matchups. You can feel free to use my model that I release on Twitter to see if you can find anything that fits at your shop. But I decided to go with Cameron Young, minus 114 over speed. I highly considered Max Homa at minus 118 in this spot. I think it is super close. Like to me, if you want to play both of them, both of them kind of great in the same exact range. It just came down, at least with what my model thought, it was a little bit better price between minus 114 to minus 118. And my model also thought Cameron Young had a little bit better win equity. Very similar. I mean, we're nitpicking here between like the difference between those two players. But I think Spieth is just one of those golfers where the aggression probably does help his upside for an event like this. Roberto ran through all the high-end finishes he had, 
We also can talk about all the times that he's come outside the top 15 here. But there's a ton of water hazards looming for errant shots. I worry for him that the recalculated metrics don't fit Albany if the game isn't clicking on all cylinders. He ranks second to last in my model for weighted proximity. He's outside the top 10 of this field for all par ranges where he only graded better than Horschel and Kisner, where I remeasured the projected tee to green output. I think this is a really good spot to fade him, whether it's with Cameron Young or it's with Max Homa. I think both of them are about as equal as it can be. As I said, I went with Cameron Young just for the reason that I thought the price was better, but uh, it's very similar. So I like that we're on the same mentality there of trying to take Spithon. I, I think doing it with Homa is perfectly acceptable. And, you know, it's a bet, like if I'm being completely transparent, like I always say, I, I will give plays on here, and I have a lot of other plays that I don't give on here just for different reasons. Like, I try to give my high-end plays that I have in my articles, and the other things are not. I have a play on Max Homa over Jordan Spieth also. Um, I mean, I think it's a really good spot to try to take Jordan Spieth on. Do you have any other bets in the matchup market? Or I, we know the outright market, you have your two bets. Um, we have our two bets. No, I mean, like I said, I did consider trying to find a matchup against Sam Burns. I think, unfortunately, a lot of those movements, like at least the sharper money seems to be against him already. And, and I couldn't really find a spot that I wanted. Like, I didn't want to lay minus 130 juice in some of these uh, situations to take him on. Like, other than him, I don't really have any <clears throat> egregious, I guess, like differences. Like, obviously, I'm not high on Horschel and Kisner, but the market is telling you the same exact thing there. Like, that's already built into the prices that we're getting. So, other than being lower on those golfers, I, I kind of think, like, the two really big differences that I'm trying to at least find matchups against would be Spieth and Burns. Like, even though I'll give a third option, even a guy like Morikawa to me might not necessarily have the safety I was looking for. I think Morikawa has the upside that's a lot better in this spot. So, you know, if Morikawa comes in the top five or one this tournament, I would be less shocked than if an option like Jordan Spieth ended up winning this tournament. It's not to say that Spieth can't give you a top finish, and it's not to say that Jordan Spieth can't win this tournament. I just think he falters at some point over four days more than everybody else in the field, and that's kind of the mentality I'm trying to take is find me matchups against him in a no-cut tournament where we're going to need upside. I like the way the upside that we get from Cameron Young and Max Homa and give me the volatility of speed where we can take him on in this spot to where I think that he has a little bit more bust potential than a lot of these players in this spot. So I've got two other bets that I'm considering and I wanted to get your input on. The first one is John Rahm to finish fifth or worse. You can find this on bet365 at minus 125. I don't love the price at minus 125. I wish it was closer to even money, just a plus 100. But if we think Scotty Sheffield's going to win, and there are only three other spots that he could beat, then that Rom can beat us. And we don't have a ton of the data available to us because he's been playing on the DP World Tour. He's been playing really well. He's already won three times this year. But we don't necessarily have that data in all of our models. But what we do have is that he's been a little bit underwhelming on approach. And this is a reason why with him priced at the top of the board, I thought it created value for Scheffler because Scheffler has been, in my opinion, significantly better on approach. And if he just shows up with the putter and doesn't have a disaster, he can win, I think, better with a better chance than anybody else. What do you think about John Rahm here and in that market? 
I think it's a tough thing. I agree with that. First of all, I want to say, I agree with what you said. Like part of the reason why I like Scheffler so much is because his win equity got boosted. And if his win equity is going to get boosted, we're going to have to start subtracting from John Rahm. And so he got pushed down my board. You know, when I ran this for upside, my model actually liked Justin Thomas's upside a little bit more than Rahm. The reason for that came down to the weighted proximity that you were mentioning. So he is sixth in my model for weighted par three. That's fine. He's ninth for weighted par four. He is 16th for weighted par five and ninth overall when it came to weighted proximity when I took, I guess, the encapsulation of all of that. We have known like Rom's wedges and irons for a really long time now have been dodgy at best with it. Like if I'm looking at my mall, he's 15th from within 100 yards. He's 17th from 100 to 125. He's 15th from 125 to 150. I worry a little bit more, I guess, like if I'm trying to find a way to take John Rahm on or I'm thinking he's not going to do it, it's within 100 yards that would worry me. Now, if he can get it close enough to the green, you know, maybe the around the green game can be okay. Now, I will add to that that he is 15th in my model out of 20 players when it comes to strokes gain around the green. So that's been another problem for him. I just think at the end of the day, Rom's skill set is really good. Now, if you were to like, anytime we get into these markets where you like make me pick a side... I'm always going to say that they're not going to come in like that super ridiculously high number that they have to reach. Uh, I just think there's more spots for him not to reach it. And if we think a guy like Scheffler has value, well, now we've already marked him down to second. And all of a sudden, if Thomas hits his upside, he's down to third. I just think, unfortunately, we look at his course history here, first and second. I do think that he's a relatively safe golfer, but you could make the same argument that I, that I made with Jordan Spieth. When John Rom goes south, that attitude goes south at a degree that is more like, it's bad, is all I'm trying to say to that. So, I don't know. I mean, if things do go south for him, he obviously has implosion potential. Um, if you force me to pick a side, I'm going to say that he's not going to come into the top five there. But I, I also think it's it's close because my model does have him second overall and has him third for upside. So, I'm not necessarily looking to fade him at the end of the day. I'm going to keep an eye on those odds, see if I can get something closer to around minus 110 and maybe pull the trigger. Um, the other guy that I was looking at betting on is Justin Thomas, and he is first in the field in par five scoring average. And I found that he is 12 to one to lead this tournament in par five scoring. So throw out every other hole that's not a par five, just the par fives. He's 12 to one. And in my opinion, in this 20-man field, you've got five or six guys who aren't going to be able to compete on the par five just because they don't have the length off the tee to be in that stratosphere with the John Roms, the Justin Thomases of the world. What do you think about Justin Thomas at 12 to 1 uh, in that market? I like it. it. I'll read through. So this would be my... Um... Let me bring this up. This would be my weighted par five scoring. So this is going to take some long iron play and some of that. So he's number one for me in weighted par five. Kind of, He's number one in any par five metric. Like even if you don't want to make it weighted, he's number one in par five average. He's number one in par five birdie or better percentage. He's number one in weighted par five. Second would be Cameron Young. Uh, third was Scotty Scheffler. Fourth was John Rom, which is some of the reason why I also like Rom. I just think the par five scoring for me is going to be able to create opportunities here. Uh, fifth was Victor Hovland, which maybe explains why he's had some of his upside. And then sixth was Max Homa. Uh, as you can tell, like there's a specific game type I am looking for at this course. It's guys that can hit the ball far. It's guys that are aggressive. It's guys that can take advantage of either the drivable par fours or these par five longer holes where they're going to be more aggressive. And 
I think Justin Thomas does that better than pretty much anybody in the field. I would say Scotty Scheffler is the only one that probably does it better than him, according to my model. But I think it's a very intriguing price, like for him to be the number one player in my model for par five scoring and for there to be a 12 to one out there for him to have the best par five scoring. Now, I guess like the one thing that I would say to that, which is actually a positive here is normally we're talking about two to or four par fives. The, the fact that we have five means that he might be able to take advantage of that skill set a little bit more. He's going to have 20 opportunities versus, you know, we'll call it 16 or, I mean, sometimes even eight to that. So that's a noteworthy thing, and that's where the scoring is going to take place, and it's probably another way to try to get exposure to Justin Thomas. And if for some reason, you know, he does lead the field substantially in par five scoring, he could win this tournament. Like, I think he has one of the better win equities in this field of anybody, but probably one of the better ways to do it like when if I look at his so he's fourth for me in weighted par four scoring and he is 13th in weighted par three scoring and you know maybe from an outright perspective that would be the downside Tim is that there's also five par threes we we can remove those holes from the equation and just give me the par fives I like that Roberto yeah because he's the he's got the same price to win the tournament as he does to win the tournament just on par on the par five holes yeah. and so i thought that we can get a get rid of some of the other holes where he might not be as elite specifically the par threes where as you mentioned there are five and he has been the best par five player on tour this year and or this calendar year i should say and he's got if the wind picks up just a deep bag of shots that he can play with the various amount, with the various trajectories and ball. And uh, you can turn the ball from left to right, right to left. He's a shot shaper. And for my money, the best on tour right now. So it looks like on Saturday specifically, it's going to get pretty windy in Nassau. And if they're playing in the afternoons, most days, it's going to be a one and a half, two club winds around 15 miles an hour depending on where you are on the course. So I like that the shot shaping could come into effect with the wind and just the higher, the larger sample size of par fives would tend to favor the guy who's better on par fives statistically. Sure. And they're easy par fives at the end of the day also. So he's second at strokes gain total at easy courses. He's second in strokes gain total in wind. Those are two really big factors that are going to help him. And then I mean, as we talked about, he's number one in weighted par five scoring. So it's like all the pieces that you're looking for of a player that's going to be able to score on those holes. I think he can. He's also third in my model for uh, driving distance. I think that's another thing that's going to give him a big advantage. And we know, as you said, he's one of the best shot shapers in the world. The iron play is just magnificent from him. Like, I, I think Thomas probably, if you exclude the majors... You know, with this being Tiger's tournament, I'm sure he wants to win Tiger Woods' tournament. He's going to be motivated for this. So I think that's a way, like, mostly with us having tickets on Scotty Scheffler and we're not going to be able to add Justin Thomas. I think this is a secondary way to try to get exposure to him. And that's what I'm always about. It's kind of one of the reasons why I also took Cameron Young over Jordan Spieth versus Max Homa. I think there's a lot of ways to play Max Homa. But I wanted some exposure to Cameron Young, and I thought if I could get it against Spieth, if I already have home as an outright, that was a way that I could go there. I think this is the same exact mindset to where if we're going to have Scotty Shuffler to win this tournament, I think this is a secondary fashion to try to get exposure to Thomas. And you mentioned Justin Thomas and the motivation to lift the trophy with one of his idols and now good friends, Tiger Woods, being the host of the tournament. Of course, Tiger has withdrawn from the tournament because of plantar fasciitis. Um, side note, I think 
everyone on tour and associated with the tour would be totally okay with Tiger Woods getting some type of exemption to ride in a golf cart wherever he wants on any tournament on tour. It's great for the bottom line for every player. And it's great to grow the game. Everybody's going to want, a lot of people are going to watch who wouldn't otherwise watch if Tiger Woods wasn't playing. Let's find a way people to get Tiger Woods a golf cart so he can play. Thankfully we'll get to see him in the next couple of weeks because the match he's allowed to use a golf cart. It's going to be him and Rory, I think against JT and Spieth, I believe. And then a week later, he will play in the PNC championship with his son, Charlie, where he's also allowed to use a golf cart. And he said, Charlie's going to be able to carry him anyways. So he just has to hit the putts and give out some high fives. I think they would let him have a golf cart if he really pushed for it. I think Tiger Woods is way too prideful to go that route. I don't think he's going to do that, but I agree. I mean, it'd be great for ratings. Um, But while we're on narratives, uh, Max Homa, also big Tiger Woods fan, and he also just had his firstborn child. So hashtag perspective there for Max Homa. Um, Any final thoughts uh, on any other bets? I think I'm going to add Justin Thomas on that par fives uh, to lead this to lead the tournament in par five scoring at 12 to one at a quarter unit um, along with the Scotty Scheffler and Max Homa outrights. And then the Max Homa over Jordan Spieth, anything else you've got on your card besides those outrights, your matchup against Spieth with Cameron Young, anything else? I consider Jordan Spieth at 11th or worse on bet three, six, five at minus minus one twenty. but I would rather like just bet, Homa against him as a second wager, like if you went the young route or if you went the Homa route, bet young against him. Like I would rather do that. So probably not there. I mean, I'll give a specialty bet, which I've been on fire in the first round leader market. I'll tr- I think I've won three out of four weeks. So I'll try to continue it here. I made two bets. I bet Cameron Young at 18 to one. That's 0.16 units to win 2.88. I also took Sungjae M at 16 to one, 0.17 units to win 2.72. Those are dart throws. I'm going to have some fun with it. You know, it's a 20-man field at the end of the day. I like the upside that both of those players possess, and it's kind of the same sentiment that I keep saying of trying to find exposure to these golfers. I could not find a way to get exposure to Sung JM. I do like him this week. I think this is an interesting way to go about it. Uh, so those two in the first-round leader market, but no, I mean, in for the most part, it's a very minimal card like my big bet is going to be on Scotty Shuffler to win this at 0.9 units to win 8.1. I'm going to have all those head-to-heads that we talked about. Uh, if I can find that Justin Thomas par five scoring, I'm going to take a dabble there. But no, we'll have we'll have better tournaments in 2023 coming up. I don't think you need to force things, but uh, that doesn't mean there's not value to be found. And I think you know for the most part we did we have very similar mentalities when it came to what we liked this week. But hopefully that's a good sign moving forward for this tournament. Yeah, and I'll add that I really like Cameron Young and Sung JM. And if Scotty Scheffler wasn't on the board this week, I would probably consider a play on them very, very closely. Um, This was likely our last podcast of the calendar year. So we'll see you guys in Hawaii for the Tournament of Champions at Kapalua. Uh, Hope everybody has a very happy holidays. And Nick will be back with us to hopefully find you a lot more winners and stay hot. It's been a fun fall swing. We've all made money. All three of us, I think, are in the green. So it's been a lot of fun, and hopefully we can continue this momentum. Uh, Any final thoughts before we head out? 
I just want to add to that, you know, thank you for everybody that's listened to the show as we started it up. Like we have, I think we have big things in store for 2023. Obviously it's nice when you start the show with all three of us in the green with it. Like there's been multiple, we've all hit outright winners. We've all been successful in the head to head bets we've given. Like there's been a lot of information that we provide here. And at the end of the day, we're doing this show to try to provide as much information as we can to everybody listening. Like that's always my biggest thing in this space that if I do a show, I want to make sure that we're providing tangible, concrete information that you as the listener can take and use at your book. And that's one of the reasons why I release my model every single week. Like, I never want it to be a show to where we come on and it's like, this is the bet. This is the only thing you can do. That's not the answer to this. Value comes in different ways and books release different value when you really search through the market. Roberto said it best at the beginning of the show. A lot of times it'll come in these specialty markets, but if you really dive through these boards, there are mistakes that can be found. It doesn't mean you're going to find them every single week, but you know, it can be as simple as finding a head to head wager to where, and maybe you don't even find an arbitrage situation with it, but you know, there could be a golfer that is minus 130 everywhere and your model thought it should have been way different and you find a minus 110 at a book that hasn't moved or adjusted to news or movement or whatever's taken place. And that's why we try to provide golfers that we like, golfers that we want to fade because that's an easier way for everybody listening to then take that information. You know, we break down the course in that fashion. So you can use all of that, use it for what you try to find important with it and then find wagers of your own. And finally, Spencer, where else can the people find you this week? So you can find me on Twitter at Tioff Sports. I'm going to keep updating my model with ownership percentage for DFS and some of the drift numbers that take place in the outright market. I'm going to have a play tomorrow and throughout the week that I'll have at Action Network. I, I mean, if you're listening to this show, the play I'm going to write about tomorrow is Cameron Young over Jordan Spieth. So you're going to see that one or already hear that one on this show. But I'm going to update bets throughout the tournament if I can find anything. And then, as always, you can find me at Rotoballer. We have really big things in store coming there next year. I'm really excited about what we have uh, moving in motion there. So uh, keep an eye and a listen out for that. But, you know, once again, Roberto, it's a pleasure doing this show with you. It's been really nice getting to know you better with this. And obviously, Nick and I had a show that we were doing before. But I, I really feel like the three of us have hit our stride here. And I think 2023 is going to be a big year for the show. Yeah, it's been an absolute honor. Really fun getting to know you guys and learning from you guys every week. Um, I'm really excited for the new year and a lot of marquee events coming at us quickly uh, with the double dip in Hawaii before going over to Torrey Pines. And then by the time you know it, we'll be at the Phoenix Open and then the match play in the Masters and we'll be in the full swing of things. So glad we got off to a hot start and it should be a lot of fun. So that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Links and Locks presented by Bet365. You can find Spencer, as he said, on Twitter at Tee Sports. You can find Nick Brettwish at Sticks Picks. That's Sticks with an X. I'm also on Twitter at RobertoA213. Be sure to check out ActionNetwork.com and Action Network app for all of our great golf betting and DFS content. Spencer will have that Jordan Spieth and Cameron Young article up there tomorrow. You'll also find some of our best bets in about two hours at 10 o'clock eastern time on tuesday night on our best bets file on the action network on the website and on the app thanks again to everyone who makes this podcast possible especially our producers noah sophia and matt thanks again and here's to hoping you guys hit the green 